This is the Daily Signal podcast for Wednesday, February 24th. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Rachel Del Judas. She was raised in a Democrat household and found herself on welfare before undergoing a journey which has led her to be one of the most conservative members of Congress. Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, a freshman member of Congress, joins me on the Daily Signal podcast to discuss her journey to the right, as well as a recent trip to the U.S.-Mexico border and how she balances Congress, her small business, and being a wife and mom. And don't forget, if you are enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Now, on to our top news. Security officials testified before the Senate Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee on Tuesday and said they believe the riot at the Capitol on January 6th was a coordinated attack. Former U.S. Capitol Police Chief Stephen Sund explained to the Senate committee why he believes the insurrection can be classified as a coordinated attack per WUSA 9. The events I witnessed on January 6th was the worst attack on law enforcement and our democracy that I've seen in my entire career. I witnessed insurgents beating police officers with fists, pipes, sticks, bats, metal barricades, and flagpoles. These criminals came prepared for war. They came with their own radio system to coordinate the attack and climbing gear and other equipment to defeat the Capitol's security features. I am sickened by what I witnessed that day. Our officers fought valiantly using batons, shields, chemical munitions, and pepper ball guns to hold back the attackers. Capitol Police and responding law enforcement agencies showed tremendous restraint by not using their firearms, which would have likely led to a more chaotic situation and a possible mass casualty incident. No civilian law enforcement agency, to include the United States Capitol Police, is trained or equipped to repel an insurrection of thousands of individuals focused on breaching a building at all costs. I am extremely proud and appreciative of the Capitol Police officers, the Metropolitan Police Department, and the other law enforcement agencies that came to our assistance. A clear lack of accurate and complete intelligence across several federal agencies contributed to this event, and not poor planning by the United States Capitol Police. Sun went on to say that while some violence was anticipated on January 6th, none of the intelligence the Capitol Police received indicated the violence would be nearly as severe as it was. Former Senate Sergeant-at-Arms Michael Sturgeon and former House Sergeant-at-Arms Paul Irving, as well as Metropolitan Police Department Acting Chief Robert Conti, also testified at the hearing and echoed Sun's conclusion that the events at the Capitol appear to have been a coordinated violent effort. Republican senators grilled President Joe Biden's nominee for Secretary of Health and Human Services, Xavier Becerra, on his vote against banning partial birth abortion. Here is his exchange with Utah Republican Senator Mitt Romney via the Susan B. Anthony list. There's a division in our country with regards to the issue of abortion, of course, as you know, and mainstream Republicans, mainstream Republicans or Democrats disagree. But most people agree that partial birth abortion uh, uh, is awful. Uh, you voted against a ban on partial birth abortion. Why? So, Senator, here, um, I, I understand that people have different deeply held beliefs on, on this issue, and, and I respect that. Uh, I have worked, as I've mentioned, for decades trying to protect the health of men and women, young and old. 
and as Attorney General, my job has been uh, to follow the law and make sure others are following the law. And I'm also sitting in front of a high-risk OBGYN who for several decades had the work of protecting the health of women and a, a future baby. And so I, I will tell you that when I come to these issues, I understand that we may not always agree uh, on where to go, but I think we can find some common ground on these issues because everyone wants to make sure that if you have an opportunity, you're going to live a, a healthy life. And I will tell you that I, I hope to be able to work with you and others to reach that common ground on so many different issues. I think we can reach common ground on many issues, but on partial birth abortion, it sounds like we, we're not going to reach uh, common ground there. Here's another exchange Indiana Senator Mike Braun had with Becerra on taxpayer funding of abortion via Senator Mike Braun. Um, when you're, if you're, you don't uh, get through the proceedings uh, intact and you are the HHS secretary, you're going to be representing everyone. And this is a very succinct question to the point. Will you commit to not using taxpayer money to fund abortions and abortion providers? Senator, if I first can start by saying thank you very much for the, the lengthy conversation we had. I, I definitely appreciate it. And while we, we probably will not agree on all the issues, I can say to you that we will definitely follow the law when it comes to the use of federal resources. And so I, there I can make that commitment that we will follow the law. Not really the particular answer I was looking for, but uh, I'll take that because I want to move on to the uh, next question. The Senate confirmed Linda Thomas-Greenfield to the position of ambassador to the United Nations on Tuesday. The confirmation vote was 78 to 20. Thomas-Greenfield is not viewed as a highly controversial appointment, having previously served in both the George W. Bush administration and the Obama administration. She was questioned during her confirmation hearing by Republicans about a speech she gave in 2019 at the Chinese state-funded Confucius Institute at Savannah State University. She called the speech a huge mistake and added that, truthfully, I wish I had not accepted the specific invitation. The state of California will be giving coronavirus relief to illegal immigrants as part of their $7.6 billion coronavirus relief package. The bill allocates 5.7 million payments of $600 each to those making less than $30,000 a year, $2.1 billion in grants for small businesses, 565,000 payments to those who did not receive the federal government's previous $1,200 stimulus checks, and 15,000 checks will be funneled into the Cash Assistance Program for Immigrants, per the Washington Examiner. Now stay tuned for my conversation with Congresswoman Lauren Boebert on her journey to the right. Conservative women, conservative feminists. It's true, we do exist. I'm Virginia Allen, and every Thursday morning on Problematic Women, Lauren Evans and I sort through the news to bring you stories and interviews that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women. That is, women whose views and opinions are often excluded or mocked by those on the so-called feminist left. We talk about everything from pop culture to policy and politics. Search for Problematic Women wherever you get your podcasts. I'm joined today on the Daily Signal podcast by Congressman Lauren Bober of Colorado. Congressman Bober, it's great to have you on the Daily Signal podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Rachel. 
Well, thanks for being with us. So you and I actually just were on a trip together to the U.S.-Mexico border. Can you share with us just some of the takeaways you got from the trip? Sure. Well, first, I had a wonderful and informative time on the Codel uh, trip, and, and I want to thank so much the Freedom Caucus chairman, Andy Biggs, and his team for hosting us. Uh, that was really a treat to take us down and see the wall in person and what's going on. Uh, on the border, it's really a conflict between the cartels in Mexico and the border patrol in the U.S. Uh, the, the cartels send over 90 percent of the drugs, including heroin, cocaine, uh, that are destroying our communities. And that's a problem. They also are a, a large player when it comes to human trafficking and engaging in sex trafficking, which, which is just horrific. And we must put an end to that. Uh, the, the first day that you and I were there on the border, there were five unaccompanied minors that were apprehended. And that really comes to the heart of the wall. I believe that building the wall is the most moral and just thing that we can do. It's shameful, immoral, and disgusting to signal to poor and desperate people that they should risk their lives, that they should break our laws in hopes that they somehow might make it across, might not get caught, uh, and might survive, and then we'll take care of them with our hard-earned tax dollars. I mean, we could just look to California and see how that's working for them. We need a secure border. The border patrol officers that you and I met with want the wall. And under this new administration, construction has been halted. We saw the eight foot gaps where there's supposed to be a gate to finish securing the border wall. And those are wide open. And, uh, and so that's how the cartel can send folks over. Well, something that really stood out to me uh, that I really hadn't been aware of until this trip to the border uh, was how the drug cartels affect schools uh, at the border. And when we were there, uh, we got to see Palominas Elementary School in Cochise County, where they had told us, the law enforcement told us that they really routinely have to put the school on lockdown because the drug cartel traffic that is going by the school. And so I just wanted to ask you, what was your perspective of this? Uh, just seeing, you know, how real this becomes for students at the border. Well, Rachel, we have to ask the question, in what other community in America would this be okay, where schools are on lockdown nearly once a day, and, uh, and there's, there's constant threats to a school where children are being sent I certainly would be making changes if that was happening happening at my children's school. So why is it okay for, for Arizonans and, and folks who are along the border to have to put their children in harm's way every day? You know, under President Trump, illegal immigration was the lowest it had been in 17 years. President Trump achieved this because he understood the problem and he addressed it. So far, under President Biden, his actions to protect Americans and secure the border have been to ban federal government from using the term illegal alien. That doesn't protect our children in schools. It's almost laughable, but what's not a laughing matter is the increase of illegal drugs and human trafficking that will occur when the current president isn't willing to address the crisis on our Southern border. And unfortunately, it's our children who are harmed by that. And it's the children who are being sent across the border, just like you and I saw that day. Well, you're a freshman member of Congress, and I want to talk a little bit more about why you ran. Uh, before you get there, though, you have your own restaurant, Shooter's Grill. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, I opened my restaurant nearly eight years ago. Uh, eight years ago, I was in the process of, of opening 
this restaurant that the city officials told me I shouldn't open. Um, they said, you know, our restaurants are failing right now. There, there's a lot of work that needs done to your building, uh, but we don't think that it's going to be worth it for you to invest in this restaurant and, and open up right now. And uh, I, I wanted to help my community. And so I said, you know, I've, I, I've, I've prayed about this. I believe that we can be successful. And God said, whatever I put my hand to will be prosperous. And if I commit my actions to him, then they'll succeed. And so we, we went ahead with faith that if we just took that step, it would be successful and we would be able to help community members. We named our restaurant Shooter's Grill because we're in the only city in America named after a gun, Rifle Colorado. Uh, but we, we just wanted to serve people with excellence. We wanted to connect with people. We wanted to create opportunities for people in our community. And shortly after we opened our restaurant, there was an altercation that changed the entire outlook of our restaurant. Um, there was a man who was unfortunately beat to death outside of my restaurant. He lost his life um, from this altercation. And I immediately needed a way to protect the people that were around me. And so I took advantage of Colorado's open carry laws and I began to open carry in my restaurant. Soon after that, my waitresses began to carry guns in the restaurant. And before we knew it, Nightline 2020 was in our restaurant doing a story and Shooter's Grill was being called the safest restaurant in America. Wow. So what has it been like being a female entrepreneur? You mentioned the pushback you got from the city. Um, but now that you've had this you know, restaurant under your belt for quite a while now, what has it been like looking back on you know, where you started from uh, to where you're at right now? It's been an amazing journey. I have met with people that I would have never had the opportunity to meet. I've, uh, I've, I've experienced uh, so, so many uh, different things with, with people who have come in from all across the world. They want to see the waitresses with guns, uh, but they, they leave with a real experience. They, they come in empty and we fill them up. And, uh, you know, it just shows that in America, this truly is the land of opportunity. It's not the land of guaranteed outcome, but we have an opportunity to put our hand to something and, and be successful. Uh, you know, I, I was raised in a Democrat household. I was, I was stuck under failed policies that put us into a cycle of poverty with no incentive to get out. At 11 years old, I stood in bread lines. I waited for government cheese, and that's not America's best. At a very young age, when we moved to the Western slope of Colorado, I started working and I saw with that first paycheck that I brought home to mom that I can put my hand to something and create wealth. I could do a better job taking care of myself than government ever could. I, I didn't have uh, a silver spoon in my mouth. I, I didn't have uh, every, every privileged blessing coming my way, but I had opportunity because America is exceptional. And I was able to put one foot in front of the other and keep on trying until I was able to have the influence and the connections that I that I wanted in my community to to make many lives better, not just my own. Well, you mentioned uh, that you were raised in a Democrat household and the impact that that first paycheck had. What was that transition like? Or I guess, can you tell us a little bit more about your story from being raised in a Democrat household to now um, being a conservative member of Congress, a member of the House Freedom Caucus? Uh, what how that journey progressed? Well, I, I just, I was being exposed to the truth. I was being exposed that these policies that we lived under weren't the best for, for anyone in America. And it, it was just a way for government to have control of our lives. And I, I mentioned that cycle of poverty. They wanted us stuck in that. 
uh, you know, my mom just believed that if you go out and try to make it on your own, it will never be enough. And then you will fail everyone around you because government can take care of you better than you can. And uh, I just saw firsthand at 15 years old that that wasn't true. I, I actually left high school, my senior year of high school, I was offered a great position at McDonald's. And I, I had had my first son by then. And I said, you know, I, I've been on welfare before. I've been stuck in that before. I don't ever want to go back to that. So I took a great job opportunity that was worth more th to me than my last two months of high school sitting in biology class. And that really changed my life. I had ownership in my position. I, I, uh, it was, it was a great um, building of work ethics. And it's something that's never left me. I've taken the same message of freedom and personal responsibility to women at my local jail. And that was just as much of a blessing and uh, a learning experience for me as it was for them. I was able to go into this jail and have these personal connections with these women and let them know that their life wasn't ruined. They still had an opportunity to have a successful future no matter what their past had looked like. Being a Christian, I was able to go in to this jail and personally introduce these women into the God who turns shame into glory, who could restore whatever their past looked like, all those broken pieces, he could put them together and lead and guide and launch them into a successful future. I was able to offer these women jobs at, at my restaurant. I was able to create opportunities for them. And that was far more powerful than any government program could ever be. I, I saw that in the Republican party, limited government empowers we the people. And that's what I wanted to be a part of. Uh, my mom, who was a staunch Democrat, actually uh, voted for her first Republican candidate in 2016. And that was President Donald Trump. And now she is a staunch Republican conservative. And she understands that uh, all, of, all of those policies were, were hogwash and she was lied to, she was deceived. And, and now she's, She's been enlightened and, and she understands that she can have control of her own life and her own future. She actually is a server in my restaurant and I've never seen my mom with so much joy. She enjoys serving people. She enjoys connecting with people. She enjoys taking care of herself. Well, now getting back to Congress, can you tell us a little bit about why you decided to run? I was really frustrated. So Rachel, I, I'm not a politician. I was frustrated with politicians. I was frustrated with people who promise us one thing on the campaign trail, but then they get to Washington, DC, they get to their state capitals and they forget who they work for. They forget about the people who sent them there. They overregulate, overtax, overspend, and ultimately destroy everything that we are working so hard to build at home. I, as a business owner, see how those overregulations affect us. I see how it over, the overregulations of our industries around us affect small communities. In my district, energy is a big issue. And because of government overreach, we hardly have any energy jobs in our district anymore. And I want to be on the front lines of, of those issues and communicate why America needs to be energy independent. We need to be pursuing energy dominance. We're seeing uh, the freezing temperatures down in Texas and, and how uh, the grids couldn't supply enough energy because they had largely gone to renewable energy resources that are unreliable. And so I want to promote good, clean energy. I want a good, clean environment and 
that means we need to be extracting those resources here at home in America, creating American jobs. Because if we're not extracting these resources, China will do it. Saudi Arabia will do it. Africa will do it. Child and slave labor will be used in these countries. And uh, I, I don't, I don't want to see that for anyone. So uh, we, need, we need to bring that back here to home. But I saw a lot of politicians who had given up on securing the rights of the American people. To me, that's the first thing any elected official needs to do. That's your oath of office to secure and defend the Constitution of the United States. And uh, I saw a lot of people who quit standing for freedom. And that's why I'm honored to be a member of the Freedom Caucus. There's so many members of Congress in the Freedom Caucus who are here for the right reasons. They're principled. And in the Freedom Caucus, we don't, we don't go to fancy dinners with champagne flowing. We order pizza and we debate the constitutionality of a bill before it's ever voted on. And in my opinion, that's what all of Congress should be doing. So my motivation is giving power back to the people and limiting government overreach. Well, something that you are busy on right now, actually Congress is talking about, is this $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill that the Democrats are pushing. And I'm just curious, there's a lot in this bill. What's your perspective of it? There is a lot in this bill, and uh, there have been more than 100 hours of debate. And it's interesting because I'm seeing in real time, Democrats aren't, aren't worried about, they're, they're not concerned or affected by the conversations that we're bringing to the table. They've made up their mind that they want to just keep creating money and, and throwing us further into debt, affecting our children and our children's children. This debt is going to them. Um, it, Congress has already provided nearly $360 billion for state and local governments through five different COVID bills. Much of the relief was unregulated and benefited states like New York and counties like Boulder in my state of Colorado that didn't need or deserve the funding. These are areas that have done nothing to tighten their belt when it comes to spending. Most still have rainy day funds that have not been ex exhausted. Boulder County spends $6 million a year on climate change initiatives. They shouldn't have a bailout from the federal government when it was their draconian measures that destroyed their local economies, that destroyed their businesses. So this $1.9 trillion, uh, it's a Democrat wish list. And I I'm tired of the, the Biden blue state bailouts that have just been uh, flowing from, from Congress and this administration. And it's time now to put a stop to it. Rachel, you know that we have we have nearly $1 trillion that's already been approved by Congress that's unspent. They're, they're using the excuse of reopening schools. Well, there's no proof that this will even be spent in 2021 or that schools will reopen. I think this is a great opportunity to push forward the school choice message and have those dollars truly follow the student. If, if we're going to be giving federal bailouts to schools, it doesn't need to go to the teachers unions. It needs to go to the students and the parents need to have choice to, to have the choice to send their children to a school that's actually open and will provide accurate and uh, sustainable learning. Well, finally, so you're not only a member of Congress and a small business owner, but you're a wife and a mom. And I wanted to hear from you and just for all the other moms that listen to this podcast, what would your words of encouragement be to other moms in similar situations where there's a lot going on? Uh, what would your advice and then words of encouragement be to them? Well, for me, um, it was 
it was my children that that sent me to Washington DC. It's their future. And I felt that it was selfish of me to, to sit at home and just complain about what was going on. Um, so, so my boys, my four boys, they are my motivation. Um, my husband is my rock and we, we spend a lot of time on the phone together now more than we do in person, but I, I let my, I let my children know that their future is worth it. Our country is worth it. And so I encourage everyone to just get involved at whatever level works for you and your family. If that's making phone calls to your representatives, making phone calls to your senators, those calls matter, those emails and letters they matter and they do, uh, at least in my office, they're received, uh, they're seen and, and responded to. So we hear the messages that are coming in. Um, get involved in, in your local governments, the school boards, the city councils, this stuff matters. And this is how we will begin to transform our nation and really get back on course to what our founding fathers intended our country to look like. Uh, pray for our country and, and don't be afraid to voice your opinion in the midst of this cancel culture. I for one refuse to bow down to the cancel mob and I am proud to have a voice and be in Washington DC doing exactly what I promised the voters I would do. I would be their voice representing the issues that matter most to them and standing strong on the principles that they know that I have and they have back at home. Uh, so I would just encourage everyone, don't lose hope. Don't give up on America. God certainly hasn't. Well, Congresswoman Bobert, thank you so much for joining us on the Daily Signal podcast. It's been great having you with us. Thanks so much, Rachel. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Please be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with you all tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Kate Trinko and Rachel Del Judas. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, visit dailysignal